0: C podcast. This episode is part four of a series called Radical Compassion for a Challenging World. In these teachings, based on the Tibetan Lojong text, seven-point mind training, Dorje Lopan, Dr. Han Lai, discusses how we can find freedom and happiness, regardless of our outer environment. Urban Dharma is a Buddhist temple in the heart of Asheville, North Carolina. We are supported by your generosity and by our online store, tibetanspirit.com To learn more about us, come visit our temple in person or look us up online at udharmainc.com Thanks for listening. Uh,
1: So, uh, good evening again. Uh, So let's start uh, our uh, session uh, by paying homage uh,
2: to the awakened ones who do this.
3: No
1: So, good evening. Uh, so today, uh, this evening, we'll try to cover uh, quite a bit of ground, it seems, uh, but actually it's not that much, uh, because most of the words here are quite simple and straightforward. Uh, <clears throat> there is uh, not a lot of technical terms here, except that there are things like, you know, train in the three Keep these three inseparable, and so there um, might need a little bit more explanation. Um, at this point, I think um, we can say that uh, um, one way of understanding, you know, if if you have to say uh, answer or uh, yeah, if you have to answer someone.
2: Uh, if somebody asks
1: you, what, what is this thing called lojong? Uh, I think uh, you can, uh, there are many ways to explain to someone briefly what lojong is. Uh, but I think one easy way is to say, uh, <clears throat> this is basically a method of training, whereby what you are aiming at is to aim uh, for Uh, achieving your own happiness however you also know that in order to achieve your own happiness what you have to do without a choice is to uh, help others find happiness so if we think That uh, my efforts, you know, whether at work, at home, in the community, in the country, or wherever, if you think that my efforts uh, to be happy, to achieve my goals, is being hindered by other people, the only reason that other people would hinder us from finding happiness is because they are unhappy. Uh, Basically, happy people don't cause trouble. Happy people are too busy being happy. It's only people who are not happy that cause trouble. How do we know that? Because that's how we are. When we are happy, uh, basically we don't cause trouble. And when we're happy, even when trouble comes, we have a high tolerance towards the trouble. But when we are unhappy, unhappy in the broader sense of the word, the slightest agitation, the slightest provocation becomes very heavy, uh, becomes really unbearable. So I'm sure we have all experienced before how the sound of the clock in your room can be so loud at times. At what times? At times where you are too stressed to sleep. At times where you are so tired that you actually cannot sleep. Or too worried to sleep. Then it's as if that little clock with that one hand going as it gets later, it becomes louder. Tick, 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 tick. Um, but but we know for a fact that the sound wave hasn't become bigger. Nothing has changed except for your state of mind. Uh, on other nights, when if you're not stressed, if you're not kept awake by some worries. Uh, That same clock you won't even notice that it's ticking. So again, that just you know is very good evidence that um, when we are at ease, when we are happy, we don't cause trouble. So when we are not happy, when we're not at ease, when we're not satisfied, then we become irritable. When we become irritable, we cause irritation to others. So at the heart of lojong is, how can I achieve happiness huh, using the right way? How can I wisely achieve happiness? In some ways you could say it's not even about altruism. It's not even about like great compassion, great love. Uh, sometimes when we use words like great compassion, great love, altruism, then we think Mother Teresa, we think Venerable Zheng Yan, and you know, so on and so forth, you are like, ah, that's just me, I can never become like them. Right? But Lojong is, is, is challenging us to see and to understand that actually, it's the most intelligent way to achieve your basic goal of wanting to be happy. So there's nothing that is such a big deal to practice lojo. Yeah? It's not just for saints. Yeah? If anything, it's for the sane. <laughs>
3: Yeah,
1: If you consider yourself as sane, then you have no choice uh, but to want to practice lojong. Yeah? It's not even because you're such a amazing person. Uh, It's not even because you're so compassionate. It's just, there's no other alternative. Uh, If there were other alternatives to achieving happiness, uh, by all means, go for it. But what we understand from Lojong teachings is that actually there isn't. Why? Because Lojong is based on uh, a very clear understanding of uh, human nature. So now, if we want to talk about human nature, in the Buddhist context, then we can say, uh, it raises a question.
3: Yeah?
1: Uh, are we fundamentally uh, confused? Or are we even more basic than confusion? Uh, Buddha. Buddha nature. Right? Right? Now, of course, Buddha nature, explicitly stated, is a teaching that you find only in the Mahayana material. Uh, and so in the non-Mahayana material, uh, it's not so clearly stated. Uh, and in some instance, you might even have non-Mahayana people saying that, oh, no, no, Buddha nature is just some, uh, some strange thing that was added to Buddha's teachings. Um, now, without getting into those types of debates uh, I, I don't think very productive to get into those debates um, perhaps zooming out of uh, the particularities of Buddhist sectarian debates, we can more broadly ask the question: are we fundamentally uh, good or are we fundamentally uh, Maybe not evil, but are we fundamentally good or are we fundamentally ugly? Ugly in the sense of like, kind of in terms of inner qualities. Ugly, as in malicious, Uh, selfish. Uh, And I think uh, philosophers uh, the world over have debated this question. Are we fundamentally, you know, is human nature uh, at root evil or uh, selfish and therefore needs to be controlled? Or are we, are we fundamentally, uh, uh, in Buddhist terms, Buddha? Yeah. Uh, so yes, you can quote scriptures, you can debate, you can philosophize and argue back and forth. But Lojong again takes a very simple approach to this. It says is are you by nature are you naturally uh, angry and annoyed and jealous? If Being annoyed, being angry, being jealous, being stressed is our natural state, yeah? Then, we would be very comfortable when we are stressed, when we are annoyed, when we are jealous. (laughs) Right? Does that sound right? No. Who in this room has ever been angry and go oh, so nice?
3: <laughs>
1: no, n- n- nobody. Yeah? But when we are generous, when we are loving, ah oh, we feel so good. Because that's what's natural to us. And all the other stuff, all the afflictive emotions are unnatural. And so that is the best evidence of what we call Buddha nature. Without getting into philosophy, without getting into debating which sutra is true and which sutra is not true and all of that, just look at that by nature, when we are loving, when we are generous, when we are kind, when we are accepting, we feel really good about it. <laughs> when we are jealous, when we're annoyed, when we're irritated, when we are angry, and when we uh, want, 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 it doesn't feel right. We know something is wrong. Because it's not natural to us. So Lojong is based on this understanding of human nature. That that all all of us want the same thing. And so if we all want the same thing, same thing, how do we achieve the same thing? We achieve the same thing when we're able to, uh, in every situation, do the following. And here, this is the the fifth point. Here it says, the fifth point pertains to the measure for having trained the mind. Uh, How do we measure, uh, how do we measure, how do we know how well uh, we are practicing Lojong? So here it says, um, when these four things when these four things. And so here, uh, even though in the translation it's not there, uh, but you can add to say, if if all the teachings for you converge, uh, they meet at this single point, then you know uh, your lojong practice is going pretty good. Uh, And what is this single point? Overcoming what? Yes? Sorry? Unhappiness. Oh, unhappiness, but specifically overcoming? Sorry? Suffering. Suffering, but what is the source of suffering? Self fixation. Self grasping. When, when all the teachings and all the practices that we do. We find that we do them in order to undermine self grasping, self fixation, then we know, ah, I'm actually practicing lojo. Huh? But if you find that, oh, that particular practice that I do is so that I will become more powerful, then you're not practicing lojo yet. Huh? But when, if, and when you find Uh, That all the teachings, all the practices, all the virtues that you cultivate, you cultivate with the intention uh, to undermine self-grasping, self-fixation, then you know uh, you're doing well. Uh, Last, on Monday, I say, there is a difference between undermining the self and undermining self-grasping. Undermining the self is unhealthy. Unhealthy. that's when you become uh, uh, the proverbial doormat. Everybody wipes their feet on that and bully you. Uh, That's not the goal of Buddhist training. Uh, Sometimes people misunderstand. Uh, Because in other Lojong texts, it says things like, uh, uh, may I take on all loss and offer victory to others. Uh, That sometimes leads people to think, oh, that means you know, I will always uh, admit I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. So there's another line here that says drive all blames onto one. But that one is not you. That one is, again, self-grasping, self-fixation. Shantideva says that all happiness in the world is the result of concern for others. All happiness in the world Comes from uh, being concerned for others. And all suffering in the world uh, is the result of uh, fixating on the self. Uh, then, when uh, among the two witnesses, you find that you are now relying on the principal one rather than the secondary. Uh, so, what are these two witnesses? Uh, these two witnesses are basically self and other. Uh, meaning, whenever we do anything in the world, uh, there, is, there is the possibility of there at least being, not at least, but there's the possibility of two types of witnesses. One is other people witnessing. But whether other people are there to witness what we do, what we say, what we think or not, there's always one witness that is present, ourselves. Uh, when we find that we are increasingly trusting. Uh, in other words, trusting ourselves. In other words, actually here is talking about when we find that we no longer kid ourselves. When we no longer fool ourselves. Uh, and think, oh, I'm doing really well. When, when we find that we become honest with ourselves, then we know ah, Lojong is working. Okay? So we, of the two witnesses, rely on the principal one. When we begin to rely on our conscience, okay? when we no longer tell uh, stories to excuse uh, our like, negative behavior, then we know ah, Lojong is working. Then, uh, when we find that we always have uh, a joyful mind, uh, regardless of conditions, uh, the mind is joyful. Here, joyful is slightly different from. Uh, here, joyful is not um, that there's always music in the background, you know, so to say. Uh, walking around like everything is going right. Joyful is more this this state of, you know, uh, problem or no problem, uh, you're joyful. Uh, Because problems will always come. Uh, If you look at Buddha's life, throughout his life, even after he was enlightened, continuously uh, problems turn up. They did. Uh, Continuously problems turn up. Uh, problems would turn up in terms of problems within the community. Uh, people would come and complain uh, and say, Oh, you know, I really don't like, you know, this monk or that monk, and then ask the Buddha to kind of arbitrate. Uh, or outsiders will come and say, uh, Your monks or your nuns are really troublesome. Uh, we don't want them in our village anymore. Please tell them to leave. So continuously as a leader, he had to deal with all these issues. Uh, it's not like after he became Buddha, all he had to do was wave his fingers, and everything got solved. Uh, in fact, if you read in the Vinaya, um, very honest stories were told about problems that the Buddha had to face. Uh, one time, there was uh, a group of villagers that came to him and said, uh, Hey, Gautama. So they didn't really respect him. Uh, they called him by his name. Hey, Gautama. Hey, um, There's a group of your monks that live just right outside of a village. They are too wild. Their behavior is too wild. Mm. Could you you tell them to leave? We don't want them there anymore. Then Buddha said, okay, I'll deal with it. Thank you for telling me. So these people left. Then he called, you know, I think he called like Shariputra or someone like that. He said, "Um, could you go to this group uh, and tell them that I would like them to leave that area because the local people uh, no longer welcome them. Actually, the funny thing is Shariputra said, I think it was Shariputra, someone, some key disciple like that, uh, they said to him, uh, uh, Lord, you know, uh, that group, uh, they are kind of tough.
0: Uh,
1: I don't know if uh, they would accept, you know, this news. Then Buddha said, bring some tough guys with you. (laughs) See, Yeah, Buddha said, bring some tough guys with you. So the Buddha wasn't beyond, you know, doing what is necessary. For the be- the greater good. Uh, so throughout the life, Buddha's life, uh, of course, don't read. You know, if you if you want a more a more reasonable picture of how to deal with daily problems in terms of reading sutras, yeah, this is my honest assessment. Myself, huh? you don't have to take my word for it you only have to take my word far enough to do some research. If you want to have a reasonable picture of how to deal with day-to-day problems, read the early sutras. Don't read the Mahayana sutras. The Mahayana sutras are fantastical. Yeah, it's uh, you know, kind of things that are floating around uh, I mean fundamentally I am a Mahayana Buddhist but I'm, I'm just being very honest the Mahayana material is good for other reasons yeah? if you want to learn more basic how to deal with uh, realistic things I, I like that example of that story it's very realistic yeah? the Buddha did not just like say some mantra and then everybody listened to him the Buddha said, bring some strong guys with you <laughs> and go reason with them. And if they don't accept reason, then, you know, bring out the strong guys and say, get out. Um. So you, you have, you know, uh, <clears throat> mind training is not about, like, if you suddenly train your mind, all your problems will go away. No. What, what, what happens is that if you train your mind, then when problems arise, you can actually more quickly, more immediately solve the problem. Or at least if you're not able to solve the problems because some problems cannot be solved immediately. You learn the patience to bear with the problem without the problem sinking you. A lot of times when problems arise, It's our resistance and our, um, yeah, resistance. uh, We say locally, we say, Uh, That comes up against solving, finding any solution for the problem. Uh, We blame, we resent, uh, we complain. Then that gets in the way. Then whatever problem it is becomes even heavier. When you begin to practice Lojong, you will start to see these patterns more clearly. But it's not the case that once you see the pattern, frankly, then you are liberated.
3: <laughs>
1: frankly, I can tell you, you know, sometimes I see the pattern very clearly, I say, but I still want to be angry. <laughs> this is uh, habit. And habit is hard. To overcome. In Sanskrit or Pali, we call it vasana, which is like, uh, which also has the meaning of perfuming. Like this, the stench it's stuck there. And they say that a cloth, right, if there's a stain there, the stain can be sometimes removed more easily than the stench. Like durian stench. Some of you think it smells good, but not me. Yeah. You can wash your hands no matter how many times, the stench is still there. And that's habit. That's vasana. Yeah. Yeah. That's chi uh, chi. Yeah. So you have to understand. Uh, even when you start to practice, uh, this this karmic habits are very persistent. And so you also need patience. So at the very least, you want to start developing the ability to laugh at how ridiculous you are. When we stop justifying our insanity, and at least can treat our insanity with humor, then we are moving in the right direction. Don't treat your insanity with anger then that's another problem you have just created. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just treat it with humor. So now I think pretty good myself. Not yet, pretty good. As in maybe three days after being insane, uh, I have some distance to be able to go, oh my gosh, look at that. This is so ridiculous. You know. So from three days, maybe to two and a half days, to two days, you know, then you, you kind of shorten uh, the period of uh, having the ability to recognize that that was just an insane behavior. Uh, then, so we <laughs> begin to see, you know, the insanity of our behavior. Uh, there's a tremendous humor to the situation. Uh, so then it becomes lighter. Uh. I just remembered, like over the weekend, uh, another place I was also talking about Lojong, and I said that uh, even on Facebook these days, uh, I find many updated uh, Lojong slogans, yeah? many uh, more contemporary uh, Lojong slogans. So one slogan is more Dharma, less drama.
3: <laughs>
1: uh, so you repeat that Lojong that Lo saying right? Uh, that is a very good mantra to have uh? more dharma less drama right? so everyday just say that more dharma, less drama more dharma, less drama right? uh, another my, of my favorite actually this is currently my most favorite of favorites uh, apparently it's a Polish saying uh, and it says uh, not my circus not my monkeys yeah? so whenever people try to pull you into their drama you say not my circus not my monkeys <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah?
1: Yeah? this is someone else's monkey yeah? they can go deal with it right? don't get caught up
3: yeah?
1: not my circus not my monkeys yeah? more dharma less strong. So these are ways of training the mind, you know, that if we remember, Uh, there's another uh, master uh, very instrumental in bringing Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism to America, uh, Chogyam Trungpa. Uh, In some circles he's a little bit controversial. Uh, But regardless, um, he has another, uh, he also taught a lot about Lojong. Then he has a special Lojong mantra, he says. Uh, and that mantra is, he, he, one time he was kind of tricking his students into thinking that he has a super special mantra to give them. So they all got ready, you know, thinking it's some magic mantra. And then, so he had them repeat after him. He says, okay, now repeat after me. I'm going to give you this special transmission, you know, a secret mantra, you know, that not normally given to just anyone. So these are his students, are basically reform hippies. You
3: know.
1: Uh, so then he said, "Okay, now repeat, Om." And so then they all said, "Om." Then he said, "Grow up, Swaha." ah "Om, grow up, Swaha." So then he says, "You know, there's no mantra more powerful than this. Just repeat this, yeah, as much as you can." om, grow up, (laughs) swaha. So, it says, you know, it's because we are unwilling to grow up to reality, then we insist uh, on our individual, you know, fantasy world. Uh, And every one of us have our own individual fantasy world that we hope and wish would finally become everybody's world. Uh, But the fact is, uh, every one of us have our own samsara. samsara is not one place. It's not one place that we all happen to inhabit. Samsara is not a place. Samsara is a process of confusion. So in that sense, every one of us have our own samsara. And that is another kind of good thing to consider. Before we judge someone else, which we are all experts at doing that, I'm very good at doing that, because for at least 10 years, I spend my time judging others. I was a professor, I have to judge all the time. But it's probably because I have a deeper need to judge, so I chose that career path. Um, So I know all about judging. So we're very good at judging others. But whenever we find that tendency to go there, we have to repeat this. Everyone's samsara is different. We really don't know other people's samsara. Everyone's situation, everyone's confusion is particular to their circumstance. And once we we have some understanding like that, our heart begins to soften up. So another way of talking about the heart of compassion is, they say, the tender heart.
3: Hmm?
1: The tender heart. Because right now, our hearts are hardened. In a way, you could say we have cirrhosis of the heart. Yeah, and that's a very serious condition. We have the cirrhosis of the heart. Probably because we have been drinking a lot of confusion. Yeah, so it has hardened. And so it's become cancers. so other kinds of illnesses like shanti Deva says uh, will only take this life uh, but this kind of hardness uh, will throw you into the hell realm so to say again and again and again and again and again and again uh, so we want to unclench we want to un uh, we want to soften up this heart uh, this this tender heart uh, also uh, expressed as uh, Uh, the heart that bleeds not to be afraid uh, to let that uh, be exposed and stop building up walls uh, to try to protect them so ability to be vulnerable in the world uh, and to remain with the vulnerability because we know that ultimately it cannot be destroyed. Ultimately, we are Buddhists. That is our fundamental state, and so it goes back to that point. So now, final point in this fifth point subpoint, uh, we know uh, that uh, we are well trained in Lojo when we can even practice when we feel distracted. So these distractions can be anything. Uh, Unexpected turn of events in our life, unexpected turn of events uh, in our career, unexpected turn of events at dinner, who knows, right? Uh, Unexpected turn of events at the office, unexpected turn of events while you are in the middle of meditating. In any of these situations when distractions arise, you don't lose right, your position. Then you know that lojon is working. Uh, it's not saying, here it's actually not talking about the kind of super power of the mind, uh, which can be cultivated, like shamata. Uh, uh, that you remain in a state of absorption, uh, no matter what's happening around you. Uh, they talk about great meditators who can remain in the state of a jhana state or samadhi state for 21 days or three years. Here is not talking about that. Here is saying that even when you are in the midst and you feel, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so distracted now. But you still feel it's okay. It's okay. Even this distraction is a way to train my mind. When, when you have that kind of confidence, they say, then Lojong is working. So you see how I, I, I want to point out, like, the Lojong method is slightly different uh, from the method of like intensive meditation. And I want to kind of suggest to you that this way, for now, it's very suitable to all of us. Should we develop our ability to uh, not be distracted? Of course. Mm? But even more important than that is to not to be thrown off when distractions arise. Mm? When distractions arise. Uh, Which is when suffering arises. Not to be thrown off. The six points and the seven points, uh, under those two headings are basically uh, very direct uh, kind of uh, suggestions, uh, very direct prescriptions
3: uh,
1: of how to handle, uh, on, on how to handle uh, the different situations. Yeah? Um, <clears throat> so here the first point it says, Um, uh, how to train uh, in the three uh, principles, right? Always train in the three basic principles. So here, I have to give you what the three are. The first is, uh, in your lojong or my training, uh, you should not, uh, you should be careful not to contradict the general uh, shilas. Right? So for lay people, the five vows, the five precepts, the Panchasila. You know? uh, sila. And so if you are a monk or a nun, then you have extra vows. Right? Then there is the trainings in the bodhisattva vow. Right? So it says, um, although in some ways, lojong training is more basic and fundamental than these like specific vows, right? you take the five vows, you take the 227 or whatever it is, you should not be casual with those vows as well. Yeah? Uh, because sometimes you might feel, oh, I'm, I'm keeping lojong, so I don't need uh, to go into the uh, minutiae of all those vows. It says, no, don't. Uh, be clear. Second principle is, your mind training should not become offensive. Uh, what does it mean there? Uh, it's talking about situations where you feel like, ah, now I'm training my mind, so I'm training to give up
3: um,
1: expectations. I'm training to give up praise and blame. So, you say, well, oh, so it doesn't matter. Um, so you turn up uh, at your fifth granduncle's birthday dressed in your pajamas. Because you say, it doesn't matter. I don't care what people say. Actually here it says, no, don't do that. You cannot on the account of I'm mind training, then I can do whatever I like. Because you don't want to cause offense to other people. So that's the second. Then the third, now this point of not coughing, causing offense to other people, there's another line later on that says, don't be so stuck with tradition. So there are other occasions where you should kind of counteract the prevailing expectations. So it's not rigid. Rather than treating these like commandments that you are following and and rigidly following, you should try to understand the rationale, the reasoning behind uh, why these recommendations are given. And the third is your mind training should not be biased. And what they're talking about here is uh, you should not be uh, biased in the sense of uh, in front of my teachers. Oh, I'm such a good practitioner. Other people, but don't care. Or the other way around. Or oh, the other way around. In the sense of, when I see poor people, when I see people who are less well off than me, oh, so much compassion for them. Then, when I see the sultans and their, you know, tra- traffic control coming through, <laughs> these people, so high and mighty. Then your Lojong training is also biased. You need to have equal compassion for the tyrants of the world and for their victims. Because you cannot blame either side. You have to drive all blames onto self grasping. And not only your self grasping, all, oh, everybody's self grasping. You see, that, ah, the reason the person is behaving that way is self grasping. But the reason the person is exactly the same as me is we both want happiness. But thanks to my karma, thanks to my circumstances, I have encountered now the teachings that show very clearly, if I really want to achieve happiness, I have to destroy self grasping. But these unfortunate beings, have not encountered this, or have not, are not right yet to accept this. And therefore, they continue to create suffering. So great compassion for them as well. So Lojong training needs to be unbiased both ways. So that's the three points, yeah? Change your attitude, but remain as you are. So this is related to, the, the, this point is basically saying don't act strange <laughs> now I'm a Buddhist practitioner, so I need to let people know now I'm practicing Lojong, I need to let people know uh, or I'm practicing, uh, all things are like a dream then you walk around like a dream floating huh? away you know then you know colleagues at work are say so, uh see okay <laughs> <laughs> then tomorrow you come and say no 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 I was just practicing everything is a dream <laughs> he says no don't do this change inside outside remain as you are
3: huh?
1: don't don't attract attention in fact, it will invite obstacles. <coughs> uh, earlier, right, in one of the sessions, I said uh, it's best that you keep Lojong practice a secret. Mm? Don't let people know you're practicing Lojong. Yeah? So tonight, you know, uh, you said if people ask where you went, yeah, don't want to exactly lie. Uh, so you have to think of a skillful way yeah, of answering could say, oh, I went to listen to this person talk. <laughs> huh? Talk about what? Oh, you know, at Tanxiang. Then people, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. That, that's enough. You know?
3: <laughs>
1: because most people also say, okay, okay, I don't want to ask anymore. Because it's going to start, you know? It just came back from Tanxiang, some Buddhist talk. You know, they'll subject me to all sorts of moralizing <laughs> so you can avert obstacles by just saying that <laughs> uh, then it says "Don't talk about weak points And here' it's basically don't uh, don't 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 talk about uh, don't highlight uh other people's uh, shortcomings, yeah. And this is really very different from, it's not saying if your job is as a work supervisor uh, to give an annual report, you do not practice lojong by saying, oh, everything is great. (laughs) Then you're doing a disservice to uh, this person. Uh, So you have to do it with the spirit of care and concern, uh, not vindictiveness, and not keeping this person delusional. Uh, the the greater disservice you do this person is to avoid conflict and simply write everything is fine because eventually this person's negative work habits will catch up with them and they'll lose their job and at that point it might be too late for them to retrain themselves uh, to have a good livelihood Uh, so your compassion compels you to tell the truth uh, in that case, you're not doing the opposite of this. Here is talking about uh, maliciously, right, or absent mindedly, uh, or under the category of distracting speech. Remember the four D's? Yeah? We go discuss other people's weak points. Says, okay? so don't do that. There's even a tradition, which some of you might seem a little bit strange.
0: There's even a tradition
1: in Tibetan uh, culture. They say that you should never make any comments about how a Buddhist representation looks ugly. It's interesting. I don't know if this is emphasized much in other forms of Buddhism, but in Tibetan Buddhism, they say you, you should not say oh that Buddha statue the nose is crooked (laughs) Uh, oh this is this this is that Uh, because they say that uh, unless only under one condition uh, you can kind of make negative comments about representations of uh, holy beings which is in the context of repairing it If you want to hire someone to fix the nose (laughs) or the eyes or the face or whatever, then you can. Then you can discuss what is imperfect about the statue. Now, I find that this tradition actually can be used as a way for us to guide our lives. Treat everyone as Buddha statues, don't discuss their faults unless you genuinely have the ability to help that person improve. But otherwise, don't point out their weak points. So this is an interesting tradition that, that should not only be applied for statues or paintings, but to the Buddhas that we all are. <laughs> Do not dwell on others' affairs. That's the... Not my circus, not my monkeys. Don't occupy yourself with other people's affairs. Huh? Again, this is not saying <laughs> huh? don't care. Yeah? It's different. Here it's talking about don't be gay, bold. <laughs> huh? It's not don't care. But don't dwell on others' affairs. Work on the stronger kleshas first. Klesha is afflictive emotions. So one advice is, you know, if you want to figure out what should I work on, yeah, myself, what should I work on? Um... Start with identifying what are the strongest afflictive emotions. Uh, And when you start working on pacifying those strong afflictive emotions, the lesser afflictive emotions will also subside. So this is the advice here. Uh, And then abandon hoping for results. Not abandon results, right? Uh, There's a difference. Uh, If you abandon results, then you won't act at all. Why even act? But what you need to abandon is hope. Uh, Hope means, in this case, uh, uh, expectations. So in fact, sometimes they say, abandon both hope and fear. Because those are the two the two sides hope and fear Uh, most of our samsaric problems uh, is the result of being caught up in hope and fear being caught up in hope and fear Uh, so here it says abandon hoping for results you work for the results for sure you have to But don't sit there, wondering, hoping, thinking, being preoccupied with, when is it gonna happen, when is it gonna happen, when is it gonna happen? happen? And particularly here, it's about, in the context of lojong.
3: Uh,
1: Even though we say, if you start genuinely treating other people with kindness, they will eventually respond uh, with kindness. Don't hope for that result. Just continue to cultivate and to exercise kindness. Don't expect other people to change. Abandon poison food. Food, by definition, cannot be poisonous. Poison, by definition, cannot be food. Right? So what is poison food? Which is first it was food, then poison has been added unto it. What are we talking about? Not nasikanda from last night. But um, food here is spiritual practice. Poison is poisoned by uh, the eight winds, for example. Praise and blame. Uh, Praise and blame, right? Gain and loss. Uh, Pain and pleasure. Fame and defame. Uh, These eight concerns. Uh, So, our Dharma practice sometimes can get easily infected by these eight worldly concerns. Then they become poison. Uh, One of the masters, famous great masters of the past called Gampopa, he says that if you do not know how to practice dharma, practicing dharma could lead to the lower realms. Because in some ways, dharma methods are very powerful. So if you don't know how to practice dharma, it could lead to the lower realms. So be careful with that. Don't be so high bound. That's the line about don't. Uh, be so kind of controlled by tradition. Some traditions are, of course, very good traditions. But some other traditions are actually traditions that keep us creating more suffering. Like some of us uh, have traditions, like, sort of within our culture, you know, that says you have to respond uh, uh, to uh, bully with more bully. Mm? Don't follow that kind of tradition. Mm? Uh, sometimes we have sayings, you know, in Chinese. You know, if you don't, uh, uh, kind of, basically, sort of like saying, if you don't, you know, do self-grasping, you know, heaven and earth will punish you. Those types of beliefs, you know, don't. Don't be so high bound. Sometimes this is translated as don't be so predictable. As in, don't follow these, these types of expectations. So when people expect you to strike back and you don't, then you surprise them. Then they don't know what to do. Then they will stop and they will think, wait, what's going on? (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: Then don't be riled up by cutting remarks. Of course, you say, no one likes to be the receiving end of cutting remarks. Yeah, of course, and that's why there's this advice knowing that none of us like to be on the receiving end of cutting remarks it said is warning us whenever you hear cutting remarks about you don't get all worked up and there's a let me see if i can remember this saying right there's a teaching that a great teacher gave to his student a recent recently. Last year, uh, a fairly well-known Buddhist teacher came to Tanxiang and gave a talk. Uh, Some of you might have been here. This Zhongshan Kiense Rinpoche. So it's about him. Uh, He tells the the story of when he was young. Uh, His teacher is one of the most respected uh, teachers of like recent times the uh, Kiense Rinpoche and so the Kiense Rinpoche basically was the person that was responsible for educating and raising Zongsa Kiense and Zongsa Kiense said that uh, when he was young he was very um, he was a hyperactive child and always always uh, causing trouble jumping up and down Um, very cheeky Uh, and if you all remember Shufu's introduction to him, Shufu also said that. I remember that when I first met him, he was very cheeky. Till now he still is, but with a completely different kind of, operating from a different place. Uh, But he said then, then his teacher, uh, Devokensay Rinpoche, will actually say to him, hey, Rinpoche, so-and-so told me you did this, 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 and that. You know? And so whenever the other people know that Dugok Kensei Rinpoche said to him like that, they'll be like shocked. Like, why did you tell him I said it, you know? But uh, Dugok Kensei Rinpoche uh, was making a point to him and saying to Zongshan uh, the young kid. Uh, so whenever people come and complain, Dugok Kensei Rinpoche will say to him, uh, just this afternoon, you know, three people came and so and so, so and so, so and so complained to me about you. So then, finally, Dugu said to him, But this is what you need to remember. Uh, for every person, and then also, whenever people pay- came to praise him, Dugu will also say that to him. and so and so said, you're really good. So finally, then, said to him and said, But here is what you need to remember. Not so much who said what, but here is what you need to remember. You can be sure for every person that complains about you, you can find 10 others who will praise you. And for every person who praises you, you can be guaranteed you can find 10 others that have a problem with you. And if you are just going to get blown left and right and up and down by praise and blame, you will never gain your own strength and your own sense of what is right and wrong. So abandon all of that. Abandon all of that. Then the next page, uh, don't wait in ambush. Uh, That means don't plot your revenge. (laughs) Uh, Wait in ambush. Uh, So, someone does something to you and you say, uh, You just wait. Uh, Then you are like pouncing, you know, uh, like a tiger, waiting for the right moment to jump out uh, and attack. Uh, Don't do that.
3: Uh,
1: Don't strike at weaknesses. Uh, this is a a, a variation uh, of uh, don't talk about people's weaknesses here more specifically don't uh, don't strike at weaknesses not just talking earlier is don't discuss don't talk about other people's weaknesses here do not uh, you know the person has a wound there you know that person is sensitive about a certain topic do not Uh, purposely harm them, hurt them uh, by pressing those areas. Don't transfer a zoo's burden onto an ox. A zoo is a cross between yak. Uh, Yak is this uh, bovine that only in in the Himalayas. It's a cross between um, a yak and an ox. And it's Famous for uh, mm, the ability to carry a lot of weight.
3: Uh,
1: way more than an ox can carry. So don't transfer the burden
3: uh,
1: of to a weaker object. And here it's talking about you are the zoo and other people are oxes. So don't transfer your burden to someone else. Don't try to be the fastest is here saying, don't always want to win. (laughs) Again, here is not saying, uh, don't give your best. You give your best, whether you're gonna win or not, Uh, don't be motivated by I'm going to beat everyone. If you are going to challenge anything, challenge yourself, not others. Don't act with a twisted motive. Culturally, we are very good at that. (laughs) The opposite of (laughs) amorti. We even say, you know, these people are more Not that we see that many amors but, you know, even among us, uh, when we have people who are very kind of, you know, uh, innocent, we say, or, or just, you know, don't know how to connive, yeah? and uh, have all these twisted motives, right? then we say, oh, you're so um, amorty so here it's saying don't act with a twisted motive don't turn gods into demons uh, on Monday we learned about in fact turn demons into buddhas right invite all the demons that will cause you trouble and see them as buddhas and bodhisattvas and say here receive this offering I'm so grateful to you for your kindness So here it's saying, don't turn gods into demons, meaning don't turn happiness into suffering. Uh, And also, yeah, don't turn Buddhists into ghosts. Don't go ask for a echo from Buddhists. Those, you have to go to ghosts. And if you do transaction with ghosts, then you have to pay up. Don't turn gods into demons. Don't turn causes of happiness into suffering. Don't turn rather, not so much causes of happiness, uh, but rather don't turn the experience of happiness into a cause for suffering. We tend to kind of do that. Yeah. Then, don't seek pain as the limbs of happiness. Yeah. Another way of saying that is, uh, more to the point, uh, don't don't capitalize on other people's suffering. And don't use other people's suffering as your uh, happiness. So that might be, you know, uh, here in the commentaries, uh, because this was traditionally taught, especially to monastic communities. So in one commentary, it says to the monks, you know, so don't sit around waiting for people to die because they have work to do, you know. And people offer money when they go chanting. (laughs) It says, don't wait. So, in that sense, you know, of course we say, oh yeah, don't use other people's pain as our happiness. But sometimes even something as innocent as that. So we have to kind of watch out for how we gain and make gains in the world. It should not be... out of other people's suffering that we make gains. The seventh point, uh, here are called the precepts of mind training. Carry out all activities with one intention. Again, whenever Lojong talks about one intention, we know it is what? Uh, To overcome, to undermine, self-grasping. So all our activities uh, should be motivated with this one intention. Likewise, correct all wrongs with one intention. Uh, Sometimes we go about correcting wrongs, correcting mistakes of others and ourselves, uh, based on other motives. In fact, most of the time it's on other motives. Uh, Here he's saying, no, 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 no. Whatever um, mistakes, whatever less than ideal situations and things that we uh, encounter, we should correct them with this one motivation. is to overcome self-grasping. Or, as well you could say, to practice bodhicitta. Because practicing bodhicitta is another way of saying, overcoming, self-grasping. At the start and at the end, two things to be done. It's talking about setting motivation at the start and doing dedication at the end. So when we wake up, we say, I want to dedicate my waking hours to practicing the two bodhichintas to whatever degree that I'm able to. And then at the end of the day, reflect back on the day and say whatever that I've been able to put into practice of the two bodhichintas, I dedicate it to my continuous practice of Bodhicitta. Whichever of two occurs, be patient. So here, uh, whichever of the two occurs, be patient. Uh, What this is talking about is whether suffering occurs or happiness occurs. Uh, Whether things that are agreeable to us occur or disagreeable to us occur. uh, We Um, are patient. Hmm? Be patient, whichever of the two occur. In other words, again, don't lose hmm, our bearings. Sometimes when happiness occurs, all mind training goes out the window. And then, for some people, sometimes when suffering occurs, all mind training goes out the window. Some people are like that. And then, for some people, whether suffering or happiness occurs, mind training also goes out the window. <laughs> oh. It's too hot, I cannot practice. Oh, it's too cold, I cannot practice. Oh, I'm too alert, I cannot practice. Oh, I'm too sleepy, I cannot practice. (laughs) Uh, So, lojong training involves, again, whether conditions are right or not, you can still practice, they say. So one example that I can think of, I just remembered. Normally we say when we dedicate merit, right, we only dedicate merit, right? So at the end of having done something virtuous, something good, we say, oh, I pray that the merit and the blessings from this be transferred to all beings everywhere. Uh, But they say if you practice lojo, then uh, you could transfer merit no matter what. So, for example, uh, if somebody uh, invited you here tonight, uh, the first time you're here, and you sit through all of this, and you say, my goodness, that was so boring. What a complete waste of my time. Then, when you do dedication, then you say, by me having gone through this torture, may no beings anywhere need to go through this torture again. (laughs) and sincerely mean it, you know? <laughs> then you have not wasted your time, because all the minutes of suffering that you were going through, right, now you can dedicate it. So that's the meaning of dedicating uh, unpleasant experiences. Not dedicating unpleasant experiences as in, may this experience never happen on me and only happen on others. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a skillful way of dedicating. That's what we call cursing. Yeah? So it's not cursing others. It's taking on the suffering of others. And say, you know, may the negative experience that I have. And likewise, if like when you come here or when you go anywhere to do something virtuous and anything, all the obstacles that you face, huh, all of that, Is part of the practice. Sometimes we think uh, practice only starts when I arrive at Tanzian. No, from the minute you decide I am going to Tanzian to practice or anywhere, then everything that you have to do to make that happen, all of that is part of is dedicated towards the practice. From making plans so that uh, uh, dinner happens early enough, uh, from making plans like uh, calling people to pick people up, uh, to be picked up, uh, getting stuck in traffic, uh, getting stuck longer than usual in traffic, all of that accumulates merit if you consider that all part of your practice. All the way until you go home. Often we think the practice is only when I'm chanting uh, or when I'm listening. But no. The minute you decide that you're coming, then everything that you do uh, is part of practice. Uh, So in fact, uh, there is a hadith uh, in the Muslim tradition, a tradition attributed to the Prophet. uh, The Prophet said that uh, The further you live from the mosque, the greater the power of your prayers when you come to the mosque. Every step that you take towards the mosque, your prayer is multiplied by that number. So now all of you should move as far away from Tan as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Then even going halfway and deciding to turn home, it's great merit already. (laughs) Then when Sifu asked, how come I have not seen you lately? He said, oh no, no, accumulating merit, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) I drove until Green Lane, then turned around and went home. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Mai says, that's accumulating merit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, so in Lojong practice, everything, you know, Is brought into, uh, uh, you don't only wait for right conditions. Right conditions, bad conditions, wrong conditions, right conditions, everything is brought onto the path. Um, Maintain the two even at the risk uh, of losing your life. Here they are talking about uh, the two sets uh, of uh, precepts. Yeah? One is the general precepts and commitments uh, in our practice. And secondly, the specific precepts and commitments of mind training. Yeah? So the first one are like the, the five precepts, you know, and if you're a monastic, you know, all those precepts. Then the second set is more specifically the trainings and the vows related to mind training. Yeah? Guard them like you guard your own eyes. Uh, Train in the three difficult challenges. Or, in our translation, uh, train in the three difficult disciplines. So what are these three difficult disciplines? It's basically, at the beginning, it is really difficult to detect our afflictive emotions. And, apply the antidotes. At the beginning it's very hard to do to, to do that. Specifically applying the antidotes. Like I said, you know, even after knowing Lojo, understanding that, still get angry. Then in the midst of ang getting angry, remembering Lojo and still saying, No, I like to get angry right now. <laughs> <laughs>
3: huh?
1: Then forget to apply antidote. So but it says don't don't give up. Maintain the discipline. Second, uh, the second difficulty is uh, not now now that you, let's say you apply the antidote, then it's hard to overcome the situation. Again, don't get disappointed. Don't give up
0: so you see the
1: anger arising and you see uh, and, and, and when you see the anger arising and then you see or you bring up the um, the faults of anger that's applying the antidote that's applying the antidote but then not very successful <laughs> the antidote is not overcoming the poison uh, that's in the middle uh, but even when that happens don't give up And then at the end, it's difficult to completely eradicate the afflictive emotion. Again, don't give up. Don't give up. Uh, The next line, um, uh, adopt uh, or not to be separated from the three essential causes. Not to be separated from the three essential causes. So here it's saying,
0: um, um,
1: (coughs) to always remember that there are three factors that help us in our mind training. One is uh, the factor of teachers, the factor of the three jewels of a point of reference and the principle of guidance. There's tremendous emphasis on teachers, but not so much on the personality or the the person itself, yeah, but on the principle of guidance. And so when we respect the teacher, the unskillful way of respecting the teacher is the way that is trying to get something other than dharma. Okay? Then we're competing for like uh, attention huh? and things like that. But that's not honouring the teacher. The honouring the teacher and the appreciation to the teacher is ultimately about how much we treasure the dharma.
3: Yeah?
1: So not to be separated. From uh, then mm, um, so that's that's the first condition uh, the second condition is that uh, your mind yeah uh, the condition of your mind that remains open to guidance has to be maintained. Uh? Once you think, you know, you know better, then finish. (laughs) You can no more take on any more learning. So that's the second. The third is uh, conditions such as having uh, joyous effort, uh, having the the basic necessary conditions, uh, to appreciate having those conditions. So if you have a family, a spouse, children, or whatever uh, that support uh, your practice, uh, you appreciate that. uh, And you do uh, what uh, you have to do to maintain those conditions. So maintain the conditions of teachers. Maintain the conditions of a mind, a heart that is willing to be taught and maintain. uh, the supporting conditions for guidance to take place. So this is what this particular line of Lojong is talking about. Uh, then don't let the three uh, deteriorate. Here is talking about your perception. in, in the commentary they say, Your perception of the teacher as Buddha should not deteriorate. Now here again, um, it's it's easy for this to be misunderstood and even abused. And certainly, this happens. But if we have a proper understanding of this, what this is saying is that when you listen to the Dharma, you should not think, oh, I'm so far away from the time of the Buddha. And so what I'm hearing may or may not work. I said, no. You should have that pure perception that what you're hearing is the actual Dharma that can benefit you, that can benefit others. And So don't let that deteriorate. Um, then... Don't let the confidence that lojong is the essence of our training deteriorate. Or the practice of bodhicitta is the, at the essence of Buddhist practice. Don't let that deteriorate. Um, and the third one, um, what you should not let deteriorate um, is all the rules of training from both the uh, so called uh, rules that is focused on your own benefit, which is the five precepts, and rules that are focused on the benefit of others, which is the bodhisattva vow? All those trainings, yeah, do not let them deteriorate, do not let them you know, become less strong then the next is um, the three inseparable keep the three inseparable and what is this? body, speech and mind activities virtuous activities of body, speech and mind uh, always rely on them and so here it's saying uh, don't underestimate the power of making devotional acts physical, verbal, and mental. In other words, don't underestimate the power of uh, skillful ritual and conventions. So such as venerating images of Buddha, stupas, all representations of enlightened state. Continue to do that continue to repeat uh, prayers and chanting and continue uh, to mentally uh, make offerings to the three jewels Uh, don't let those things uh, decline Uh, so these are the three inseparable because sometimes when we study too much or meditate too much we, we can become too intellectual and we forget the moisture of devotion. So devotional practices are important. uh, Because it it, it kind of, uh, devotional practices is basically sort of like uh, transforming our emotions and elevating our emotions uh, to a higher level. So we should um, rely on that. Uh, Then, Uh, train in all areas impartially deep and pervasive proficiency is crucial Uh, this is actually one line so when it says train in all areas impartially it means you need to train deeply and pervasively Uh, don't just know something deeply and then don't know anything else in terms of our mind training or also don't know a little bit of everything and nothing has any depth. You should deepen your mind training so that it's not superficial. And you should also broaden the scope of your mind training so that it's not only happening when you're at home, only happening when you're at the temple. Hmm? Both broaden and deepen. Then, always meditate on what aggravates you. (laughs) And normally we think, you know, meditation is to meditate on everything that is nice. So here it says, always meditate on what aggravates you. So remember Atisha and his cook? Did I talk about Atisha and his cook? Oh no. So Atisha is the one that brought these teachings from India to Tibet. Eh? You heard about that. Uh, there is also We also know that when he went to Tibet, he brought with him a cook, a young man eh, from his area. Uh, but the people there, all the Tibetan students, don't like this person. Why? Because this cook is always very ruthless. Roof- and rough towards Atisha. Of course, Atisha's students in Tibet are full of devotion to him, treating him like the Buddha, like that. But, this cook is always very abusive to Atisha. So, these Tibetan students, you know, kept saying to him, why, why do you keep this guy around? Uh, we can serve you. Uh, Maybe we can even learn how to cook like a Bengali. Uh, Which might be hard for Tibet. Uh, So they say, get rid of him, you know. Then Atisha said, oh, no, 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 no. If I get rid of him, how am I supposed to train my mind? Because all of you will only be nice to me. Then if your outer conditions are just surrounded by a bunch of people that are nice to you, you never get to train your mind. It's not a trained mind when all you're doing is placing yourself in agreeable conditions. But here, you deliberately keep the aggravation close to you. (laughs) <laughs> and say, oh, you are so precious.
2: Is Anishia a Calcutta Bengali or a Bangladeshi <laughs> Specifically, if you
1: can't it. I think where he came from is now, today, Bangladesh.
3: Sir?
1: Yeah. Uh, in Calcutta, a lot of Bengalis uh, moved there during the partition. Uh, in fact, uh, the one monastery in Tibet, they say, one of very few monasteries in Tibet that wasn't destroyed during the Cultural Revolution was Atisha's monastery in southern Tibet. On the way to the airport from Pasa to Gongka uh, Airport, you were, you were passed through Atisha's monastery. And it said that, not it said, the reason why it wasn't destroyed was Uh, when the Cultural Revolution happened, when the Red Army was going to destroy it, um, somehow, I don't know how, the monastery was smart enough, quick enough, to go notify the embassy, or basically the government of Bangladesh, so the government of Bangladesh intervened uh, and, and directly said to uh, Chairman Mao, uh, in order to maintain good relations with your neighbor, you have to make sure that nobody harms that monastery because one of our great people started that monastery. And so that monastery was protected. So to this day, you can see the monastery uh, that came from Atisha's time is still in southern Tibet. Because
2: mm-hmm. all the politics and history of Bangladesh are obviously relation to China. Yes, yes,
1: Yeah, So, so it had some pull uh, with China, and so China. Then Mao, you know, made sure that uh, it, that wasn't harm Atisha's monastery. Uh, so here. Next, don't be swayed by external circumstances. So this is related to that one. If all we do is just arrange external circumstances to be agreeable to us, then that's not mind training. <laughs> that's not mind training at all. So in some ways, um, again, lay people's lives are extremely suitable. You're not surrounded by very peaceful environment. And, right, so you have a lot of opportunities. We have a lot of opportunities when we interact more with day-to-day everything. Um, now, practice the main points. Here, the key word is now, right, rather than later (laughs) rather than later rather than tomorrow there's a joke there's a restaurant that put up a sign and said tomorrow lunch is free so a group of monks came tomorrow to eat then when they were done eating uh, the, the restaurant owner says you know handed them a bill and they said But it says tomorrow is free. The owner said, Yes, tomorrow is free. The owner said, Yes, yes, it says yes, yes, tomorrow is free. Right? Because tomorrow never comes. You have to practice now. Another mind training slogan, then it reminds me, is from Yoda, from Star Wars. (laughs) Yes. Uh, He was telling uh, Luke Skywalker uh, to do something, you know? And Luke Skywalker said, I will try. And he says, there is no try. There is only do or not do. Uh, So with Lojong, don't try. If you try, you might fail or you might succeed. Just do. And if you do, you can only succeed. There's no failing. If you just do Lojo, don't try. <clears throat> don't misapprehend. That means don't mistake. Don't misconceive. Yeah? So here is talking about, uh, in the commentary, there, different commentaries give different scenarios. Uh, But it's basically things like, for example, um, don't have mistaken compassion. Uh, A drug addict, uh, it's not compassion for you to enable them. Hmm? Or an alcoholic,
3: Hmm?
1: for you to enable them, it's not compassion. That's. An example of misapprehending. Uh, for one who, and and likewise, you know, uh, for one who is uh, 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 directed towards the holy life, uh, and in your efforts of thinking, I want to help this person, or I want to please this person, uh, you give them all kinds of distractions. Then that's another mistake. <clears throat> Don't vacillate, Uh, one day this, one day that, one day this, one day that, this morning this, this afternoon that, moving back and forth and back and forth, not having a backbone. You have to stand tough. Then train wholeheartedly. Uh, Related to vacillating, in this case it's like always put your full heart into it. Find freedom through examination and analysis. Here what's interesting is, uh, often we think meditation is just blanking out. Uh, But here it's saying no. Analysis and examination, uh, thinking about a situation, can be helpful. So, find freedom. We sometimes, because we think too much, right? most of us, we say, oh, I I think too much. Then we think, oh, the solution is don't think. Here it's saying, no, 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 the solution is not don't think. The solution is skillfully use your thinking to achieve freedom. So Lojong, as you can see, emphasizes reasoning and analysis, seeing clearly. It's a form of vipassana, you can say. Because it when you analyze clearly, it gives special insight. It gives higher insight, which is what vi means. Higher, special, pasana. Vipassana, yes. It is contemplation and reflection. Hmm? They work through examination and analysis.
2: Yes.
1: Yes, reflection and contemplation. Uh, And in the Tibetan uh, monastic uh, scholarly tradition, they say that most of the time the mistake we make is over deciding and under analyzing. That's where a lot of our Problems come from. We over-decide and under-analyze. In other words, you know, prejudices,
3: uh,
1: fixed kind of ideas. Something negative happens immediately. Oh my god, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. We over-decide and under-analyze. So instead, with all things, have skeptical doubt, have a healthy, you know, sense of skepticism. Then don't make a fuss. <laughs> In other words, don't be dramatic. More dharma, less drama. <laughs> Don't be caught up in irritation. It's so easy to get sucked into irritation. Don't get caught up in it.
3: Then
1: don't be temperamental. You wanna achieve uh, a smoothness so that your emotions are not going up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And be even killed. In Chinese they say ping chang. Xin. You maintain that ping chang. Xin. And finally, don't expect to be rewarded. And some other translation says, don't expect a standing ovation. And don't expect anyone to say, Oh good job. But you can say, Oh good job. Actually here it says, you know, whenever you have done something virtuous, something good, you should say that. Oh, good job. Now I can reward myself with, you know, chocolate. Right? Because it's a good thing. And So here's the concluding verses. It says, uh, <clears throat> this quintessential elixir of instructions which transmutes the five degenerations into the path of awakening, was transmitted by the sage of Suvarna Diva. And that was Atisha's bodhicitta teacher that came from this area. Whether it's Sumatra or on the peninsula, is unclear. And there's not enough evidence from uh, Atisha's uh, biography for us to determine exactly uh, we all we know is that this whole area was known as Subarna Deva, uh, the Golden Islands. Is so malay
2: and Muslim? Not
1: Muslim. At that time, this whole area was Buddhist and Hindu. Yeah. Uh, Islam did not come until uh, 13, 14th century.
2: During
1: the proto Yeah. No, not even proto malay No. No no no. These are Malays. tenth uh, century clearly, you know, Malay customs and all of that was really present. Language is present. Not proto. Proto-Malay is like, you know, beginning of the common era. Second BC, three B cent third century, fourth century, maybe even fifth, sixth century. You know, by by Atisha's time these were, you know, fully Malays. In over in, in Sumatra, over here. Uh, they were fully Malay. No, Islam did not come until what? 1400s, 1300s? Yeah. Uh, Atesha was uh, 10th century. So this whole area uh, was Hindu, Muslim, and animistic. And so, yeah, uh, Suvarna Deepa, the master of Suvarna Deepa, was a Malay. Um,
2: yeah. Uh-huh.
1: <clears throat> uh, golden land is another name Suvarna Bhumi. it's also called Suvarna Bhumi and also called Suvarna Deepa uh, there was gold uh, here in this area a lot of gold and so the Indians love gold so they came here to uh, basically uh, dig gold and take back to India.
2: What was the
1: first of this? Artisha is 10th century. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. in the 900s yeah, he came here. And at that time this was a very, you know, uh, Borobudur was already built. Uh, And so like Thailand and Burma and all those areas, uh, they were Mahayana and Vajrayana countries. Uh, Theravada didn't come until 14th, 15th century, then replaced. Otherwise, Burma, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, they were all uh, Mahayana Buddhist slash Hindu kingdoms. Uh, Then in the 1400s, I think, Thirteen,
2: fourteen hundreds. Terrible
1: numbers, okay. <coughs> mm-hmm. Doctor, mm-hmm. doctor, why did
0: the
2: great Atisha have to take sixteen long years just to learn what he does?
1: Because Somebody it's very hard.
2: I know it's very really hard. You're Somebody for me just to learn uh, stabilization itself. Uh, yes. But why did you have to?
1: Yeah, he wasn't living in a microwave age.
3: So everything's
1: slower, you know. <laughs> Time and speed is uh, relative. There was a student who asked the teacher, how long will it take for me to achieve this if I practice this really hard? The uh, teacher said ten years. Mm-hmm. Then he said, what if I practice this really, really, really hard? He says, twenties.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so who knows why it took a teacher sixteen years, you know? Sixteen lifetimes, that's reasonable. <laughs> 16 lifetimes is long, but it's also not very long. 16 against infinite is nothing. It's like one blink of the eye, 16 lifetimes have passed. so uh, the author Chekawa Chekawa said having been roused by the karma of past training and feeling intense inspiration I ignored suffering and censure and sought out these instructions for taming self fixation or ego fixation and now even if I die I shall have no regrets so he learned many many things in fact all kinds of sophisticated tantric practices vajrayana and philosophy and debate and everything. But in the end, when he learned about the existence of this approach, and he went looking for someone to teach him, the first person he wanted to learn from had already passed away. And so he had to go to someone else and finally found it. And in fact, here he says censure. In fact, there were people who criticized him and said, you already learned such high teachings. You know, like Vajrayana, and this and that, and high, all these high teachings. Huh? Why are you going to learn these nonsense, <laughs> like these, all these kind of simplistic things? Huh? But he said, actually, this is the essence. When you have this, then it doesn't matter. Huh? It's all the methods and techniques are secondary. Huh? Today, I think we emphasize too much techniques. Huh? Meditation according to this teacher, meditation according to that teacher, meditation according to uh, this culture, that culture, you know. Uh, Thai is better, Burmese is better, uh, you know, Maasi is better, Bao is better, Chan is better, this is better. uh, All of that. Um, This is the essence. If we have this as the essence, whatever we pick up to practice, it can only enhance this. So like I said earlier, all the other practices, uh, there is still uh, the danger of like uh, feeding our ego. This, very hard. Immediately you know it has gone wrong. Uh, if your ego is being fed practicing this. But all the other ones, still there is that danger. And in a way, this requires less hand-holding. So if you don't have a teacher, don't be discouraged. You can practice this. And if you want to read more about it, uh, there's at least five or six books that have been published on this topic. If you go to uh, Amazon, not that you have to buy from Amazon.com, but... For me, Amazon.com is like a library catalog. Every time I'm looking for a book, I go there and I get all the details. So you just go to lo- uh, library.com. Um, library.com. <laughs> if you go to Amazon.com and you type you know, Lojong, L-O-J-O-N-G, it will pull up a whole bunch of books related to this topic. And they're all really good books. There's even one Lojong book written by a a Zen, an American Zen teacher, giving a Zen reading on Lojong. Like how to practice Lojong from the Zen perspective. And and specifically this seven point. So he goes through each of the point but using examples from the Zen tradition. Um, I want to, um, we don't have much time unfortunately. But some of you have asked uh, about what exactly am I doing? Uh, Like, you know, in general. So I um, asked uh, Brother Yuri yeah, to help me pull up some images uh, of um, the center in North Carolina. Uh, If you're on Facebook and you you are friends with me, you've already seen this. Uh, but here are some uh, images uh, from this center. And so basically, if we can pass this around as well, this is some information. Uh, and so here is the main, uh, what we call the temple. Uh, it's basically, the space is a shop, it's a shop lot. Uh, that's divided into two sections. The front section of the shop lot, uh, and this is the... Um, the back section of the shop, box. so the entrance is over here, and we just kind of divide the two spaces with uh, a half curtain, so that people can actually see. So this is the celebration of Weeza a few years back. Uh, one of the Fuangshan abbesses uh, was a good friend of mine. Uh, she was very kind. She and two carloads of members drove for 14 hours from New York City to come down to North Carolina to help us uh, celebrate uh, Waysa. Uh, so that's what we're seeing there. Uh, and so here uh, is uh, also the temple space, but what you're seeing here is a musical place. What you're seeing here is a musical performance. Uh, so we want the urban dharma space to not just be a religious space that uh, we want it also to be a cultural uh, music space uh, because this is one way to attract people who otherwise wouldn't come in uh, and learn about Buddhism uh, you have to find different ways uh, to kind of make it a friendlier space to come into uh, so this is actually an interesting group because uh, uh, the main people here um, the main people here they are um, using. Uh...
3: Oops.
1: Yeah, so the main people here, they are playing basically what we call bluegrass. Yeah? Or country, you know, it's not exactly country, it's bluegrass, it's even more folk. Yeah? But uh, there's a Tabla player. Yeah, which is uh, Indian. Uh, so it's a combination of uh, classical Indian and uh, North Carolina bluegrass. Okay. So a very interesting group here in Playa. Yeah, so. Uh, here is, at the very beginning, even before the space was completely done, uh, we hosted uh, school children. Uh, So a lot of times we get a lot of requests uh, from schools uh, when they want their students to learn something about other religions. Uh, So we would have a day long program, uh, like throughout the day, uh, eight to 10 groups of students will come. Uh, So this is like a service that we provide the community. So creating more awareness about Buddhism, about other cultures, and, and all of that. Because ethnically, this area, it's very limited. Right? It's not a very diverse ethnic area. Right? Uh, so uh, one of the things is that our center is right downtown. Uh, Are they
2: receptive
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Very open. <laughs> and so that's uh, Avis uh, from the New York uh, uh, this is actually taken in India, and that's the head of our order. This, uh, and this is We And so what you see here on the wall, right? <clears throat> see, our temple walls on the left and right, we we don't usually have things on the wall. Unless there is an artist that has an art show then, then the temple walls become basically a gallery. Again, the idea is to bring in people who otherwise won't come in. Yeah, this is uh, one of my main teachers. In fact, uh, Urban Dharma has two spiritual advisors. Uh, one is Kenjan uh, Rinpoche, and the other one is Venerable Weiwu. These are the two spiritual advisors. And these are um, members of another center, a Zen center, uh, the three of them, and she's the abbess of that temple, a Zen nunnery basically. So we have a close relationship. um, Because they are slightly outside of town, and so every year, uh, two or three events they will do in our center, which we let them use for free uh, for their fundraising. Uh, for their annual sales, for their annual fundraising, uh, whatever kind of fundraising they want to do in town so that more people can come, uh, it happens at Arinda. And So this is a group practice that we were doing. Uh, and also, if you, if you go back on the side, you see uh, the last slide. On the side, one side of the uh, temple, is basically church pews. And so for people who cannot sit on the floor, they have these church leaders to sit up. Uh, this is at the end of a sand mandala. Uh, after we have dissolved the sand mandala, uh, we went to the river uh, to offer the mandala into the river. Every other year, we do a sand mandala at the center. This is uh, a liberation, uh, kind of you know, burning the names of the deceased traditional virtual, we were eating at some place after the teaching, oh wait, go back, go back, see this person, he's over there, so Jasper came to visit on one of his uh, business training trips, he was in South Carolina, so we picked him up and came to visit. this is some smoke offering that we did uh, outside of town in one of my former students' uh, farm. Uh, this is a joint teaching that we did with this American Western mama. Um, she completed a three-year retreat, uh, like solitary three-year retreat. And so we together did, um, she's not as kind of educated in, in Buddhist like technical terms, but she has experience of retreat. So we were doing a text whereby I gave the more kind of scholastic explanation and she gave the more kind of experiential uh, explanation. So we kind of complemented each other that way. perfection of generosity, and so we consider it as a fall, harvest, abundant uh, ritual. Uh, so that's uh, doing on the teaching. So you see now on this wall is another different ag- exhibition going on. <coughs> uh, this was uh, when I was formally given the title that I was given. This is actually in um, Butterworth,
2: and I think that one is here. It's
1: yeah. And so we might have already looked at
0: all of them. Um over oh. here maybe over here.
1: Uh that's the recent teaching in uh, West Virginia. This is another center uh, and so this is a Wednesday nights we tend to have meetings smaller group. Uh, so the temple, uh, so that one text. this is a Tibetan doctor. so we also do programs uh, on health and, and, and wellness and all of that. Um, so the idea of Urban Dharma is basically that we want an, a, a Buddhist center that is active. Uh, in the West especially, Buddhism is so associated with meditation. Uh, so people think it's always just sitting quietly meditating. Uh, but yeah, you can go ahead and just I'm not going to comment, but let me talk. But you can also look. Uh, but I wanted a center that more reflects uh, my experience of Buddhism here, growing up. Right? It's always a very social space. Uh, it's always offers a range of activities, uh, and that's when the head of the order recently in May, this woman came to visit. And so this is a whole group. Um that I wanted people to have an experience of Buddhism that is not just about meditation uh, but the whole range of things. And um, and one thing is that um, in the West the way to sustain uh, a Buddhist organization uh, cannot be completely Alana's worth it. <laughs> we have the as well. Um In the West, to sustain a Buddhist center, uh, (coughs) we cannot be completely reliant on donations. Uh, That is simply not a sustainable model. Um, So one way for us uh, to, uh, this is a Tibetan singer. One way for us to make it work is that we also run an online business. So if you look at this handout I gave you, uh, there is this thing called tibetanspirit.com. And that is the business that we run. And it's basically a Buddhist, uh, Tibetan Buddhist supply store. And so all the stuff that a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner being uh, interviewed by the local TV during the Mandala festival, uh, the, everything that a Tibetan practitioner might need. Luckily, Tibetan Buddhist practitioners tend to need a lot of stuff.
3: <laughs> so, so
1: we have pretty you know, uh, reliable business there. Um, but even that, actually, right now we're in the process of um, trying to revamp that business. Um, we are kind of stuck, uh, truthfully. Uh, so my attention is a little kind of uh, distracted. Talk about distractions. Uh, the basic reason of the stuck is um, as with all small businesses, um, uh, so that's the sand model. As with all small businesses, um, cash flow is a problem. That's one thing. The other thing is that um, my day job is running that business. So I wrap orders. Up. Yes. So my formal job is wrapping orders, filling orders, taking complaints on the phone, uh, getting yelled at from time to time, so good for Lojong. Um, but it also means that, um, but, but the problem with that is not, oh, so we did a traditional, our tradition of welcoming the head of our order. Uh, instead of doing Tibetan style, uh, and trumpets and all of that, right, uh, we did it our style. So we had bluegrass players playing music, rather than traditional Tibetan music. Uh, we had balloons, these balloon machines shooting out balloons, and we had people from the top throwing flowers down. And, and he really liked it, and he said, "Yes, you have to localize Buddhism uh, and not make it into some sort of exotic, foreign, you know, thing." Uh, but anyway, so back to like the business. Um, so what? It, the the trouble with that is that basically I'm not an online business person. So so I can I can wrap things very well actually, quite expert at wrapping things so that they don't break. Uh, but I'm not in the position to kind of do all sorts of search engine optimization. You know online marketing and all of that uh, so now we are needing to hire someone yeah, to do that and and our hope is that if we can improve that business and we can if we can improve the business until the business does really well then we can be fully um, focused on making the Dharma available to the West without a price tag. Right now, almost all Buddhist centers in the U.S., for every program there is a price tag, you buy tickets. We don't want to do that. But it's not easy because there isn't a tradition of giving money. Here, at least, there's all kinds of you know, dead people to pray for.
3: <laughs> that
1: generates income for a lot of temples. There, not enough Buddhists are dying yet. <laughs> so, you know, you don't have three generations to pray for. Here, at one goal, at least, you know, people have great-grandfather, great-grandmother, great-grandfather, grandmother that they have to pray for. Uh, so, so, a lot of Buddhist organizations have no choice but to put a price tag. But one of the problems of putting a price tag is, this is already a very capitalist society. If religion is also capitalized that way, I'm afraid in the long run, it's not really gonna change that. So so we're trying to figure out how to make this project work. Uh, So that's like my main kind of headache right now. Uh, So if any of you have any kind of expertise, to help this kind of business? Let me know, Uh, get in touch with me, uh, given some of my contact information here. Um, Also with the business, I think we need to break out of the traditional clientele that we have right now. Uh, It's a very niche market, which is the Tibetan Buddhist market. And that is always gonna be somewhat limited. What we're trying to do now is to expand the business into like, New age, holistic, healthy living. Uh, selling tea, selling you know, higher quality incense. Uh, so this is very appealing in the US right now. Lots of people are getting into meditation, relaxation. Uh, you know, people can even sell nothing. What do I mean by nothing? You can buy these CDs. Of course, now it's no longer CD. But it used to be you can buy a CD, And all that is in the CD is this. You press play. Three minutes later, ding. That's one. You press another one, it's 10 minutes. So it's basically a timer.
0: Uh, You play the
1: CD, you take the track of 10 minutes. Uh, 10 minutes of silence is recorded. Then at the end,
0: ding. (laughs)
1: Then people stop meditating. Uh, There are apps like that now. Right? So there's actually great interest in America, uh, but um, the, the current economics of Buddhism is still a big question mark. Um, and that's one of the things that you know, I'm facing now. Um, at the same time, it's becoming very clear to my board members, I'm not a businessman. So they're like, we need to get rid of him as soon as possible. <laughs> I'm always like, you know, oh, yeah, 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 give them a discount. Oh, yeah, 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 give them a discount. So they're like, no, 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 no. You need to stop becoming a businessman because you're a terrible businessman. Uh, my board says, you know, you go teach, you know, go away. Um, so now we're trying to figure out you know, how to afford the new position. And also, in order to expand, uh, we need to figure out how to afford the expanding. So now we are sort of talking about the uh, social enterprise rather than charity. And I think moving forward, not just in the West, but in Asia, I think we have to start thinking about what we are doing in terms of a social enterprise. The difference between a social enterprise and, and a charity is a charity is always dependent on people giving. Whereas a social enterprise sells a product, but the profits from the product is reinvested back into the community. So it's almost like they say the slogan is we believe in making money, but we believe in making good and honest money. Money that we can then reinvest. in making a better society. So that's sort of the model that we are trying to adopt. And not only are we trying to adopt the model in terms of um, making money to make our center self-sustainable and can hire professionals, right? That's really important, I think, for these organizations. Why churches are doing so well, evangelical churches, is they believe in paying their people well. I mean, let's face it, we have a lot of very skilled Buddhists in this country. But most of them cannot afford to do full-time Buddhist work because whatever they're being paid is slightly better than what monks and nuns are being paid. But these, these people have a family to raise. So until we change our paradigm, I think we are going to be left behind. It's my personal feeling. Uh, I have seen uh, churches, like the best of the best, they're able to hire. And therefore, they're able to grow so successfully. So in a very small way, we're trying to do this. But the other side of this is also, I want to begin to do business on the Asia side with meaningful communities. That means I want to buy from places and people who are doing the business the right way. That means paying their workers a fair wage rather than the cheapest that they can get, which is usually kids. Rather than doing that, I want to do business with uh, NGOs that help Uh, kind of like uh, formal sex workers uh, that have been rescued from their situation and now they're being taught uh, in in a trade, uh, making uh, all sorts of crafts, arts, and things like that. So that we are helping on both ends of this business. So there are are lots of organizations like that, but Christian. Buddhists are so far behind uh, in terms of this kind of enterprise. We are so stuck in the model of, let's just give money. For those of us who can't afford it, we say, let's just give money. And then the temple can just make everything free for everyone. That's not sustainable. We have to figure out a way to, to generate income in an honest way and reinvest that back. So I'm saying all of this to you, not just as a sales pitch. Of course, I need help. Uh, whatever help you can give in terms of advice and kind of direction, that's great. But it's also in hopes that whatever later on you're involved in in Buddhist organizations, think about this. Think about how we can create more sustainable organizations. So thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for coming. And finally, one announcement. This Saturday, two p.m. to 6 p.m., and Sunday, 10 to noon, at Bodhi Hut Sanctuary, uh, we are going to have a short retreat on the six-syllable mantra, the Omanipanmi. Um, but it's not just chanting. There's actually a text called Heart Treasure of the Awakened Ones. Uh, I'm going to be teaching from that text. Very similar to Lojo, uh, but it's anchored on the six-syllable mantra. Uh, it's open to everyone, as you know, body, heart, you know, no price tag. Just come. Uh, you don't have to come the whole time from two to six. Whatever portion that you can come, just come. So Saturday two to six, Sunday ten to twelve. Thank you, Members and sisters. Uh, after going through
0: the four sessions here, I come to the conclusion that uh, all of us have received this in different pieces. In our daily life. and uh, our Lama Speaker here, Dr. Hanbai, has uh, put into place a whole uh, rodom practice over the period. For now, we have a very clear show rodom practice. For that, on behalf of Mr. Hantharawon, uh, I wish to uh, thank our Lama Speaker Hanbai for that. And in the presentation of. Uh, Dr Hanai's uh, sharing moment with us. I uh, wish to uh, invite Brother Ku to present token the to, to our speaker. Sadhu Sadhu Thank Sado, Sado, Sado. I would like to uh, invite invite Chiu to say a few words. Brother Chiu is the chairman of our Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, very very
2: very good. and uh, just quickly, uh, so it is quite long, uh, doesn't permit me, me to speak, uh, you know, the world, but I could. very <laughs> uh, uh, and thank you very much, and thank you very much, and thank you very thank you very much, and and very and I'm uh, hoping that you continue to come back every year to, to give us some more teaching, yeah, more enlightening our mind, uh, and we'll get our mind in our, our, you know, our heart. Uh, in today's environment, we're still very unstable. Yeah. So, with this teaching of the um, teaching, so hopefully it will stabilize our life and equip us with um,
3: all
0: the skillful means uh, to go through this to learn a stable period. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so we uh, say good night. For those who have some time to spare, please uh, have to step up your stay. For those who have no time, you can please uh, speak. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you. And and if we're leaving, leave faster because the venerable nuns need to lock the place. <laughs> of course, you know how to do dedication yourself.
3: Thank you for listening to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting our mission to foster a deeper understanding of the teachings of the Buddha, to build meaningful community, and to integrate contemplative teachings into everyday life. We invite you to make a donation online at udharmanc.com or make a purchase at our store, tibetanspirit.com. Thank you. May all beings benefit.